0: Mastermind.fm is proudly sponsored by Liquid Web. While Liquid Web has been best known as a managed hosting company with tons of options, it's also designed a managed WordPress offering that is perfect for mission-critical sites. If you're looking for improved performance, maximized uptime, and incredible support, Liquid Web is the partner you've been waiting for. Now with Visual Compare, at first in the managed WordPress space, automatically updates your plugins. Each night we take a snapshot and visually compare the difference between each plugin. If there's no visual difference, we update the plugin for you. If there is a visual difference, we hold off updating that plugin and wait for your direction. Every Liquid Web Managed WordPress customer also has iTheme Sync integrated into their management portal, allowing them to update several sites with a single touch. And if you sign up today using the discount code mastermind33, you'll get 33% off for the next six months. Visit liquidweb.com forward slash managed WordPress to get started.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to mastermind.fm. This is another episode that's going to be focused on the money aspect of uh, our life. How do we invest? How do we make sure that we employ the money we earn through our businesses in the best possible way? And in this episode, I'll be joined by one of my favorite P2P or crowdfunding finance bloggers. And that's why I've got Lawrence Samuels from financialthing.com. Welcome to the show, Lawrence. Thank you very much for having me. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks. And you? Uh,
2: Every day breathing is a good day, I say.
1: <laughs> so uh, for for those who are not familiar with you and your blog and, you know, your journey so far, could you just give us a, a quick intro about what got you into investing and starting a blog?
2: Uh, yeah. So I started Financial Thing. It was uh, towards the end of 2014. Um, had this idea when I started becoming aware of how to invest in peer to peer lending i wanted to document my journey and also give away to help other people and to give back and that was how the blog blog was created really it was uh, i never thought anybody was going to read it i certainly didn't think anybody was would ever find it and uh i just wrote it i liked doing it and then all of a sudden 6 months after the blog was posted i started to get emails from our readers who said, Hey, really enjoyed your reviews. And thanks for being honest. And, uh, the reviews are very helpful. And
1: from there, that was kind of how the blog was created and
2: transformed.
1: So just before you started the blog, you obviously had to, in the first place, get into investing. So could you tell us about how that came to be?
2: Yeah, Jean, absolutely. So. Uh, Back in 2014, I I write about this a lot on the blog about my Mm -hmm. father and how he was diagnosed. we will link it up
1: in the show notes, yeah. Sure.
2: So back in 2014, um, the end of 2014, my father was diagnosed with terminal bladder cancer. And his request to me was that I start to understand finances and retirement investing because he knew he wasn't going to be around for uh, the foreseeable time and he wanted me to help Mm -hmm. my family and um be able to set them up if they needed any help with finances because he was really the person that handled that from for my mother and right i just always hated anything to do with finance you know i just found it completely boring i had no interest i i thought the stock market was extremely risky and had no clue how to invest and when he asked me to do that i just felt like i had to become an adult and grow up and um that's really how I started to learn about it. And I just discovered a book one day. Um, I was actually looking for books on day trading, um, you know, mm-hmm. which I would, would never suggest to anybody to do. And <laughs> when I was looking on Ana- Amazon, this advertisement popped up about this book by the founder of Vanguard in- Investments by John Boggle. And it was called The Little Book of Common Sense Investing. I read that uh, literally in one night. And after that, I just the light bulb switch went on and I just understood it at
1: that time. So that's how it started. So the blog was kind of part of the journey from the very beginning. Was it something used for learning? No,
2: the the blog was never really intended as part of a learning process. It was more, I mean, part of me was thinking maybe I'd have something to leave to my kids if I ever had it in the future where they could read, you know, what their dad did when he was younger. Mm Um, and i I really don't know a side of that why I started writing, but I just started writing about it and I couldn't even tell you what was in my head at the time. I certainly didn't <laughs> think I'd ever make any money doing it or that anybody would ever read it so
1: and so fast forward to till today is the blog your actually main source of income, or is it just more of a hobby at this stage
2: um uh, yeah, the blog is a full time job for me r- right now, and uh thankfully my wife has been very patient uh, with it but yeah it's a it's a full-time income it's definitely something that's growing every day and requires a lot of work as you as you know you're in the space uh, yeah it never ends uh, but it is something that
1: i work on full-time and um, so let's let's um, dive right into p2p lending which is uh, your speciality after all so like yeah. let our listeners know what p2p li- P2P lending is and you know, we'll take it from there. Yeah, absolutely, John. The, peer to peer lending
2: is also some people refer to it as crowdfunding, but in its most basic elements, you as an investor loan money to somebody that needs to borrow money and there's a middleman facilitator, which is a website, we call them platforms and they facilitate that lending process. So, for example, if you Jean needed to loan, you know, needed to borrow 500 euros to buy a car, uh, you go to a platform that facilitates that, and I would come to you and say, "Here you go, here's the 500 euros," and then you would make payments to the platform in the form of a monthly principal and interest payment, and then I, as a lender, would be paid an interest rate and. Uh, doing that so that's in its most basic form
1: right and so traditionally this has been the domain of the major banks so what what has led to the creation of these platforms and the bypassing of the banks altogether in this process
2: i think that many of these companies that have been created just really dislike big banks to start with um but there's a couple of different reasons john one of them is speed uh, these peer-to-peer up companies can underwrite loans much faster than traditional banks can, especially when it comes to things like property or real estate. If you try to go to a bank for, say, a commercial loan on, a, uh, say, an apartment building, it, w- it could take you weeks or months to get that loan through, if you can even get approved. Uh, peer-to-peer lending companies can do it much faster. Um, so that's one of the reasons i think that would probably be the main reason also back in 2008 and 9 when there was the financial crisis there was a a dry up of the credit through the banks so Mm -hmm. these companies started to
1: pop up because of that i was reading on the european side it transpires that after the crisis there was kind of a discrepancy between people on the eastern side of europe generally and who wanted to borrow money but couldn't because their banks were failing and just not giving out credit and people in the richer countries in the west who wanted to invest but couldn't find the right opportunities to invest because the banks themselves and the interest rates are still low today so it's something ongoing so that was i think one of the reasons as well why it started gaining so much traction in europe
2: yeah absolutely and i I talk a lot about tina on my website which means there is no alternative Lenders nowadays, Mm -hmm. they're looking for places with the low interest rates to get returns on their money and peer-to-peer lending was created to offer them Better than bank savings rates with limited amounts of risk and varying amounts of risk Depending on the interest rates that they wanted to achieve. So That's a great point.
1: And so Lawrence one of the things that I'm I'm sure our listeners are Have in their mind is how much interest can one get on these platforms And how risky are these platforms (laughs) compared to banks? So yeah,
2: the the two important questions for sure. Uh, Interest rates vary. It could be as low as 2%, 2 2.5%, or as high as, you know, some of the European companies, uh, 25, 30%, um, varying degrees of risk. The risk is, is very layered in peer to peer lending. So for instance, you have this general risk of the peer-to-peer companies within the sector itself. So one peer to company A may be considered riskier than peer-to-peer company B just because of its size and the amount of money it has mm-hmm. to operate. And then within that, that, you have another layer of risk of the actual loans itself. So, um, and then risk is so subjective. I mean, if you ask a millionaire who's investing 5,000 euros how risky is it to him? He may say, well, it's there's zero risk to me personally. Uh, yeah. But if you ask a person that's net worth is 20,000 euros and he's investing 5,000, then his risk level goes up a lot. Um, risk is so difficult to really subjectively and accurately quantify. Um, it's just a difficult question to answer. Personally, you know, I see it as a medium risk Uh, investment vehicle I certainly would never recommend anybody put too much of their liquid net worth into peer-to-peer lending but um, you know in investing we have this this kind of pyramid where at the top you have a a kind of a small percentage of your high risk investments and then medium investment and then most of your money in sort of
1: a low risk and I
2: would say that peer-to-peer kind of falls somewhere in between that high risk to medium
1: risk right so clearly we're not saying to people if you had money in the bank but you're not gaining any interest anymore just move that to p2p lending clearly that's not what we would be looking for here
2: well and and another thing not
1: not in its entirety right
2: well and here's another thing to do with that sean is if you're young you're 21 years old you have a couple of thousand dollars to your name, or whatever it is, you can afford to risk that money in peer to peer because if if you lose it, you have so much time to be able to recover from that. Whereas somebody who's 65 or 70 who's in retirement years, they don't have that time to recover. So they may look at things completely differently. So I think it's really based on an individual, you know, what they're willing to risk like that.
1: I guess most of our listeners will now want to check out some links and, uh, hear us talk about platforms that we like so i have a few of my favorite platforms that i can mention but i guess we can start with you lawrence what i like about your kind of situation is that you spend time in both the us and europe so you have like a good vision of what's happening on either side and if you could like mention a few platforms from each side and compare the state of fintech in general and what you see developments in the near future. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So in the US, peer-to-peer lending is very, very large, but it's very far behind the UK, which is very strange. You know, you've got companies over here like Lending Club and Prosper, which are huge companies and listed on the the stock market, Um, but you don't really have the same type of variety as you do in Europe with the different types of, companies that offer the different types of loans. So here is more based on consumer lending, sort of like your Zopa, and your rate setter equivalents in Europe. Um, if you want to invest in some of the more niche peer-to-peer lending sites in America, uh, the asset class is considered sophisticated, so a lot of the times there's these minimum investment amounts of $5,000, which you know to some people that can put it out of reach. Uh, whereas in Europe, you have very s- much uh, smaller investment amounts. You don't have those necessarily high minimums. And, um, you know, I think as far as Europe, and they're, they're so much more progressive when it comes to peer to peer lending, a lot of that has to do with regulations. You know, America is highly regulated, England and Europe is, is in a bit of a different situation. So I think if the regulation changes in America, you might see, start to see some of that progression come to the U.S. Mm -hmm. but um you know i i strictly really focus on on the european side of uh, lending at the moment i just think it's a better place to be for me personally and as far as the returns and the different varieties and uh, the platforms offer in europe so yeah i'll I'll be delving more into the u.s uh, market in the next few months too so to try
1: to really uncover what's going on over in america all right and so one thing we should make clear is that Usually these platforms are quite tied to their country of establishment. So if we're talking about US platforms, it's not easy or possible at all for European investors to be investing there. At least that's my understanding Mm -hmm. and the same with the the European platforms, although they're getting, uh, they're becoming more open as we go along. So I believe some like assets capital, which you mentioned in one of your latest blog posts, I believe it's open to Europeans, but you have to have a UK bank account. So there might be some restrictions in that way. And then we have platforms like Mintos and Twino, which are also European from the Baltics. And they're totally open to all European residents. Yeah, And there's also the the currency to take into consideration as well. There's a bit of risk in the currency. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, the US government has put so many constraints on you know with the money laundering laws that it's made it very difficult for the u.s people to invest in overseas peer-to-peer lendings but i think each company is kind of different because the ones that i've spoke to even assets capital told me that they do accept um, as long as you can pass the security checks and the anti-money laundering um, that actually if you're a u.s investor you can uh, invest in assets capital so but each company is different
1: and so do you have any preference when with regards to the european companies for like your favorite platforms
2: um I personally i only invest in one current european platform uh, if we're talking out outside of the uk and that's mentos i i did try bondora for a while but the defaults were yeah. a little concerning to me so i discontinued doing that but um i think twino is a a fine choice too but those two would be the ones i would look at yeah i've had
1: a great experience with mintos as well Mm -hmm. so that's my majority holding right now in europe um actually that's the only platform i can invest in uh, being in uh, spain Mm -hmm. Uh, apart from uh, actually there are quite a few local companies as well so there's the space here is really exciting when it comes to crowdfunding and p2p uh, stuff and obviously Twino is very similar to Mintos, but on a smaller scale I'd say yeah absolutely uh,
2: the crazy thing too about these companies are that they can make these changes on any given yeah. day they can change and all of a sudden just completely fall out of favor so when I say I like one today tomorrow if they make some crazy management change I might tell you I don't like that mm-hmm.
1: that anymore and Completely withdraw. So yeah, and that's part of the risk. Mm -hmm. Like, the traditional banks are very slow in making change, which can be a bad thing. But on the other hand, when we talk of these platforms, it's kind of in constant evolution, even because it's something quite new relatively. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and they're also so heavily regulated that they they have to watch what they do very carefully, whereas the peer to peer companies.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, but the European companies
2: are not regulated at all, correct?
1: I believe they are regulated in some way, but obviously the banks are much more regulated. Okay, yeah. So here in Spain, they have have to uh, be regulated by... There's a specific branch of the government which regulates um, platforms like this. But obviously what you don't have is the guarantee. So Mm -hmm. if you lose your money at a bank, um, in Europe, most countries have a hundred thousand euro guarantee, so that will that would be money supposedly refunded to you. And if, if you're investing with these platforms, there is no such guarantee. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. and I like the way you said supposedly because I don't yeah. think the word guarantee when it comes to government backing anything is a hundred percent. It's pr- <laughs> probably like ninety nine point five, but as the people in Iceland. You know when the company went the country went bankrupt if they thought they were going to get their money out of the bank, so um yeah, nothing is ever hundred percent guaranteed <laughs> when it comes to government
1: so an interesting uh, thing that I've seen on platforms is that some of the platforms uh offer their own guarantee buy back guarantee mm-hmm. on defaulted loans. And this is what happens on Mintos, and in that case, the risk is with the actual platform becoming bankrupt itself or going out of business in general, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a, again, can change on any day that can change. And uh, while those buyback guarantees are nice, I certainly don't put a lot of heavy reliance that they'll always be there. If the company who is offering that guarantee goes out of business, that can affect the, the company that's offering the guarantee because you know they're they're interconnected in certain ways so again yes it's nice but should not be heavily relied upon as being an extra layer of safety for sure <clears throat>
1: and so one question i get when i talk about this to people is who are we actually lending to mm-hmm. is it the platform is it the company in each country where the individuals go to get a loan from or is it directly to the end individual themselves
2: yes yeah, so that's a great question john the It really depends company to company, and sometimes it's not very apparent at all exactly who you're lending to. On the surface, it would seem like you're lending directly to the borrowers, but if you start reading through the fine print and the terms and conditions, you'll find that some of the websites, um, you're actually lending to the company website itself, and then they're facilitating the loans. Problem with that, if the company goes out of business then you have a really good chance that your money is going to be lost. Um, As far as what's happening with the regulation, especially in the UK with the FCA, their requirement is changing with the way that that's set up. So a lot of these companies are having to alter their terms and conditions. But there's still a few companies, like for instance, um, Bond Mason, who you're actually loaning the money within that company rather than having direct agreements with, the uh, borrowers themselves. So you just have to really be aware. And and I try to list that on the website where I can, where it's um, apparent, Mm -hmm. you know, who you're lending to in my reviews. So
1: yeah, the part where I sometimes get confused is whether we're actually lending, not, not to the platform, but to the loan originator rather than the the borrower. Mm -hmm. What's your experience having reviewed many platforms? Is it typically that we're lending to the loan originate originator rather than the borrower, or vice versa?
2: Uh, Again, it's just you know I I don't think any one platform is the same. Sometimes they're third-party trusts, sometimes they're direct to the borrowers, and you know for the most part I try to stay to the companies that are you know have where you have agreements directly with the borrowers themselves. But it's a very very complicated system the way legally these things are set up um mm-hmm. at the end of the day what you you hope for is that the company doesn't go out of business you don't ever have to yeah. worry about that because that's that's a big problem
1: so month to month how do you make sure that the company is still doing fine and not at risk of going out of business
2: pick up pick up the phone and make sure they still answer the <laughs> the, the phone uh, that's a good practical one uh awesome. I, i'm lucky as i have a very good relationship with many of the the People running these companies, so I I do have contact with them, and uh, but a lot of it is just blind faith. I mean, that they're handling your money in the appropriate manner and that they're doing the right thing. I mean, one of the company CEOs that I interviewed recently expressed to me how he felt this huge moral obligation, you know, to do the right thing with regards to people's money because it was a big responsibility for him. So, that's all you can hope for is that the people running these companies understand that. And, you know, a lot of these company directors have their own money invested inside of these companies. So, they don't want them to go out of business. You just hope that they're being run correctly and that everything will be all right in the end. Inevitably, something's going to happen one day. One of these companies is going to go out of business. It's just going to happen. I mean, it's happened a couple of times in the past. It just happened. Yeah. Yeah so uh that's part of the risk you know you don't get returns for
1: no risk nowadays if you want to do that you just got to put your money in the bank and speaking of morality i've read some criticism against p2p lending that was directed against the platforms mainly for being a bit murky in terms of the, uh, the spread they were making between what they're offering to the borrower and the return that they're offering to the investor and this was especially in relating to uh, loans like payday loans mm-hmm. Where typically the interest rate would be super high, while the investor is still getting a relatively low return. Mm-hmm. Plus, they, they the investor might not always know that it's a payday loan in the background.
2: Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. It's could be extremely murky. It's just about what you're willing to accept as a investor, whether what you morally feel is okay, and having to do research behind that. But nothing is. Well, I won't say nothing. A lot of these companies are very uh, opaque, not transparent with their business practices. Some of them are very transparent, will answer very honestly about things like that. But at the end of the day, as a lender, you you vote with your wallet if you think it's something that's not
1: good for you and you just don't invest. It's really simple. And uh, so... Could we mention any resources at all, apart from your blog, obviously, where one can start to learn about the platforms in general and how things work? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything in mind? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: sp- yeah, I mean, of course. Of course, come to my blog, you'll see what I write about. There's a couple of good people and companies out there that are writing about Pizza to Pit, but it's a very small space still, so there there isn't a huge amount. There of are no, resources.
1: B- no real books, for example.
2: I- I've not seen anything. I mean, the best reading that i found is some of the lending guides that the peer-to-peer companies themselves offer um there's a couple of like wiseclerk.com offers uh, he kind of does the same thing i do offers some reviews about his experiences lending uh european-based i believe and then fourth way is another company that does uh, reviews on companies but the companies pay them to do the reviews so um as far as i know it's completely unbiased Personally, I don't hmm. think that, that sites like TrustPilot are a good way of getting an indication whether a platform or a company is a good to invest through because nowadays you can pay people out overseas, you know, five pennies to write a review for your company, and you just don't know what, which yeah. of those reviews are real. But I would say Wise Clerk and Fourth Way are another good
1: place to start by the way earlier we were talking about before the show started me and Lawrence were talking about the blogs and how we monetize our blogs so one of the ideas that came to mind is webinars and it's something that's really really growing in certain industries and i think it would be a great opportunity for you to run webinars specifically on this topic because there's so little information and the information that there is is not always evident where whether it's trustworthy or not So I think having a webinar where you can people have uh, actually build a relationship with you and see that you know you're real, you're genuine. I think that might be a good opportunity for either.
2: Oh, okay. What um, what when you say a webinar, what what companies do you do something like that through, or do you suggest?
1: Well, basically, what I had in mind was like you running a webinar yourself. So obviously, there's software that you can use but you'd basically be marketing towards your email list and people who are visiting your site and you know just have this webinar they can either pay to attend the webinar or have it free to attend and then you know you'll be mentioning these platforms and you'd get the affiliate commission of uh, their eventual sign up
2: what is the software that you use personally to do something like that is that uh like a google hangout or what do you use
1: no there are specific uh, software uh, there's GoToMeeting, meeting which uh, people use i haven't actually run webinars myself i have attended a few mm-hmm. uh, and i'm actually reading into this right now so it's something i might do in the future but i haven't done it myself but i do know some people who are making really good money with webinars yeah
2: that's a great suggestion i have this terrible fear though john i have to tell you about when my wife <laughs> says to me that she wants to have a, a party here at the house i have the biggest fear that people won't show up and uh, it, it just creates so much anxiety so it, if i do a webinar and, and nobody shows up you'll have to be the person that comes to the webinar be yeah. you might be the only person I'll be the first one <laughs> uh, that's good i have your word right
1: no but it's actually a good Way to tie things out, you know, because mm-hmm. traditionally you'd have to rent out a space, pay a bunch of money up front for catering and whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and if nothing shows up, that's a real waste of money, eh? Yeah, a- apart from time. So mm-hmm. a webinar is quite low risk.
2: Yeah, that'd be a waste of the tapas, right? <laughs> no, that's a great idea. For sure.
1: Yeah. Actually, um one to follow is uh, Entrepreneur on Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy is John Lee Dumas. He actually runs a podcast, but has a podcaster's paradise, which is where he speaks about podcasting, but I believe also webinars. And another one is Lewis House, H O W E S. Okay. He's got his own webinars and books about webinars. Seven figure income. He's really doing well. Wow. So
2: very nice. Good suggestions.
1: So going back to investing, um you're also involved in other stuff apart from P2P lending who have Things like Property Moves and Property Partner in the UK, which do property. And obviously, they're not in the UK only, but also in other countries in Europe. What's your experience with that?
2: Um, yes, yeah, so those are considered equity investment sites where you buy shares in property and you get a share of the monthly rent dividends. And if when the property is sold several years later, you hope to that the property is appreciated and you receive a portion of the net profit, depending on how many shares you had. Um, it's very, very long-term. It's very subjective. I think it's, it's could be considered a little bit higher risk in some cases because you just don't know what the performance is going to be of the properties. Um, I've had some properties that have performed really poorly with regards to rents because um, that, that really depends on how the properties are managed. If they're not managed correctly and they're mm-hmm. vacant, you don't get any rent, then you get zero returns. You know, So I think watch this space is going to be the answer because once the property is sold in a couple, three, four, five years down the road, then I'll be able to really tell whether those investments were, were good or not. I mean, historically, the UK property market has been very stable and is usually appreciated very much different to the US market. Like here here in 2008 and 9 in the US, when the property market crashed some places went down 50 percent in the uk their idea of a property crash is going down 10 maybe 15 percent so it tends to be very stable so in that respect looks like a good long-term proposition but you know these companies are still very new so it's hard to tell what it's going to be like long term. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, just to offer a few tips on investing in Spain, we're seeing a lot of activity in this space just because, like in the US, there was a big property crash of 50% or more uh, in the property market just a few years back. And that was obviously everybody knows about the Spanish crisis. Um, but nowadays, in the big cities like Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia, uh, the property market is really heating up super quickly with regards to rent and purchases and the time spans are actually much shorter than what we're seeing in the uk so i'm seeing a lot of properties being purchased refurbished and sold within a space of eight months so that's a very good thing for investors if they want to try out uh, investing in property yeah
2: there there are actually some of the sites too property moose and uh, I think property moves in particular is now starting to do some—they uh, call th- yeah—some flip type deals that are shorter in in time. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I don't have too much experience. I, well, saying that, I've invested through those types of loans, and uh, you know, through these through other pits of lending companies. But as far as doing actual equity on flip or investment flips like that, I don't have much experience in so there's always a higher element of risk uh, when it comes to that
1: and property moves also introduced their own loan platform as well recently mm-hmm. yep. what i what i like then on one platform in particular in in spain is that they don't create they're not actually a platform they're the promoters themselves so they now don't create a company for each property mm-hmm. but you're you're making like a joint venture with them for each particular property mm-hmm. and so that uh, kind of saves the expense and management fees of the company itself mm-hmm. plus they are investing at least 65 percent of the total investment so they've got a lot of skin in the game
2: mm-hmm. okay what's the name of that Society? company
1: it's called prevalor prevalor.com I, am, I have a post coming out shortly about these three platforms that are big in Spain. They're Housers, Prevalor, and Investler. Okay. And they're all open, I believe, to European-wide investment. Okay.
2: It's very interesting. It's hard to keep up. I mean, there's so many different platforms. and New ones are coming out every yeah. week. So uh, sometimes people tell me about ones that I had no idea existed. <laughs> it's it's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's like even keeping up with the Spanish ones is difficult. Mm-hmm. So you've got plenty of stuff to write about for sure. <laughs> How
2: has your experience been with the Spanish companies itself investing?
1: Yeah, so comparing them to the UK ones, the platforms themselves are way behind in terms of the way the efficiency thing that things are run with, you know, the, their own blog, the way they communicate, the design of the blog, it's of the website itself. So from that respect, it's lacking. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, the market itself is driving things on its own basically at the moment. So we're seeing a lot of activity, you know, things are moving really quickly in terms of property. So I think it's just a question of time until the platforms catch up with UK platforms. But it also depends on the market. I think the biggest thing they've got going for them right now is the strength of the market rather than they being very good as a platform.
2: Uh, do you worry about the uh spanish economy is a very volatile economy and i would imagine if the economy were to go down quickly that those platforms would really suffer that creates an extra added, added element of risk do you
1: worry about that um it is quite uh, yeah it isn't the most solid economy however the properties are mostly i believe being bought out by foreigners so that we're seeing a lot of russian and chinese investment above above all so these are places which i don't believe the economy really affects that much because these um foreign investors are first of all trying to shift their money from their own countries Mm to to europe but they're also looking for a second home and a sunny place places like barcelona madrid and the property prices here didn't really go down Mm -hmm. that much even with the crisis what went like down 50% or more were the speculative investments. And basically they were building villages like out of thin air, yeah, uh, outside the major cities. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those were the ones which suffered the most. So
2: I'll tell you one thing, you know, that I would really pay attention to that I've seen happen in the US, which is very concerning, is two years ago, the foreign investment inside real estate was huge. Uh, and then Brexit happened quickly and then the brazilian currency devalued and what happened was uh, say for instance in florida you know there was thousands and thousands of homes being sold to brazilians and english people of course when the currency you know corrected the property market here in florida really really suffered and the sales of vacation homes absolutely plummeted so just external things like that where you're so heavily reliant on outside uh, people from different countries coming in it does create a really high element of risk So, you know, I would say to be very very careful of that because you, know, mm-hmm. you know, nobody thought that the UK was gonna exit from the The EU and then the currency. I mean it dropped 30 40 percent in a day. So and then that really affected the property market as far as vacation home So just something to keep an eye on. Yeah,
1: that's a good point point. and actually actually in uh, parts of Spain like the Costa Blanca The main market was British, you know, like if you go there, it's you're going to see British people probably more than Spanish. And uh, so there's a reason they were coming to retire there to buy second holiday homes. And when Brexit happened, there was a lot of uncertainty and there still is uncertainty, basically whether they can remain in Spain or they have to go back. And so that slowed down sales there Mm -hmm. in terms of Barcelona and Madrid. I think it's more resilient in that the cities have attraction just to everyone basically mm-hmm. yeah and so you kind of have to consider a lot a lot of things and that's a good point actually that you make and i'm probably missing a hundred more factors <laughs> that com- may come into play in the future so
2: that's okay as long as you keep a wary eye out on what's going on you know one thing to remember about peer-to-peer lending too is yeah if things do go wrong with the economy the chances are you're not going to be able to get your money out a lot of these companies, they have secondary markets to be able to, to buy and sell loans. Uh, one economic change can completely dry up those markets. So when you invest, make sure that you invest in things that you don't mind hanging on
1: to long term, because there is a good possibility that you may not be able to get your money out. For sure. And actually, now that you mentioned the secondary market, what the major difference might be between the Spanish and the British ones are that there is no secondary market on any platform. Mm-hmm in spain so far okay and so i've heard that it's a legislative thing mm-hmm. and that they're working on getting that approved so i hope it will be something that catches up in the future because obviously for property that's like a mi- major drawback mm-hmm.
2: yeah it's part of the regulatory system in the uk that the companies who want to be fully regulated have to offer a the secondary markets, so, which is a huge plus. Mm-hmm. I, I would be very scared to get into a company that did not have a way to exit if I needed to exit for some reason. So
1: And so you also talk about investing for retirement on your blog. Could you tell us a bit more about your thoughts on how people should structure things for their retirement and whether it applies to everyone or just certain age groups?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, well, my, my general theory on retirement Investing for retirement really applies to every single person. It's um, I, I, Financial advisors hate me because I s- say there's no need for a financial advisor. Um, small fees that financial advisors charge and um, the investments that they tend to put people into are sort of fee heavy. And that really drags on returns. So my basic theory is invest in index tracker funds. They're very low cost. Um, they f- they track the market when the market's doing well. They do well when the market's bad. The tracker funds do poorly, which is exactly the same as the funds that financial advisors put people into. And if you look at them side by side, you know, go to Google Finance and put maybe one of the funds that your financial advisor has you invested in, you'll see that it basically does that with the market, no different from a tracker fund. And, you know, tracker funds make things simple for people to be able to understand it's literally like you could just own two funds a stock fund and and possibly a bond fund to hedge against you know a market correction and you're done you could buy those things for the rest of your life and you wouldn't need to do anything else and and in the meantime you just save all of these fees uh, that the managed funds charge and that the uh, financial advisors charge and if you go to a uh, compound interest calculator and plug in the difference between like a 7% return and a 6.5% return over 30 or 40 years, that number will absolutely shock you. I mean, it could be tens of thousands of euros difference. Or, you know, if you're investing yeah. a two or three, 400,000 euros, those fees mount up to massive amounts. So that's my basic theory on investing. And that's what I learned from reading. Uh, the book that I discovered a couple of years ago when I didn't understand. You know, I used to use financial advisors. I had one person I used for, I think, eight years, and I just gave him my money, and I didn't understand what he invested me into. And I don't think the, the investments went up for the first five or six years. I think I was a dead even flat rate. And, you know, I just I was stunned by that. At the time, I didn't think too much about it. But when I started looking back, I was thinking, what? What does this guy know that I couldn't figure out for myself? So uh, that, that's my theory on investing. Uh, I don't like sing- buying stocks and companies singly. I think it's very high risk. Um, usually, what happens when you go to a financial advisor is, and, and this was happening to my dad, I, when I looked through his uh, investment records after he passed away, they were they had this like share portfolio of of twenty five different shares. And they were charging him money to trade in and out of these different shares every year. And the fees were mm. ridiculous. I mean, I, can, I saw trade fees of like 100 euros or 50, 60 euros each time. And, you know, so he had this portfolio of 25 different shares. And that's what a lot of financial advisors do. And those types of portfolios, they usually end up dragging behind the overall market because of the fees. So I I think that they're very risky. I mean, you you get one bad decision that's made by a company. Like look at Volkswagen, they scandal with their emissions. Next thing you know, the stock price is thirty, forty, fifty percent down. You know, I just don't I don't think that the risk is worth it. The payoff's not worth it. So I just say go with the index funds. Simple they've effectively done the same thing since they've been invented in the 1970s and if you look at the market long term the market overall has gained about 10 to 12% a year while a lot of these managed funds they they lose money you know so the index funds make a lot of sense to me so i don't know if i answered your question Did or not but
1: I actually forgot what the question, but the answer. You say what? what? Whatever the question was, <laughs> whatever the said... question was, the answer was really interesting. So he made me forget the question. <laughs> no, but we're actually speaking about yeah. retirement, right? Yeah. So. So. Yeah. I'm actually not really invested that much in stocks or indexes at all because I'm still learning and trying to like learn once and invest once for the rest of my life without keeping on changing things, which is where you lose a lot of money as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but one, one interesting, I have two questions, I guess. So in the US, Vanguard is regarded as one of the best low cost index funds. But in the in, in Europe, uh, I, I believe it's not that easy to invest in Vanguard funds. Do you have any alternatives that we could use in Europe?
2: Well, if you're based actually in the UK, you can. purchase Vanguard. I Mm. don't know in other European countries but I think they're a pretty worldwide company and it's the biggest fund company in the world so I'd be very surprised if you couldn't buy uh, their particular fund but honestly nearly all of the companies offer the same thing so like Fidelity is big in in the UK. You can buy uh, S&P 500 index fund through Fidelity it's exactly the same product as Vanguard offers the fees sometimes can be different. That's the weird thing. Like all these different companies, they offer the same products, but the fees could be like one company's charging mm-hmm. 1% a year while say Vanguard charges 0.1% a year, but it's the same product. So that's what you really have to watch out for. Um, that's personally all I buy is I buy an and p 500 US index fund because it's so big. I mean, the fund has like 3,500 stocks inside of it. A lot of people in England, they opt to go for the... FTSE FTSE 100 uh, fund personally I don't like it because it's it's small in comparison to the US fund and I think diversity is the key to investing you just want to have a big diverse option of uh, what the fund has inside of it and the FTSE 100 is made up you know I think like the the three biggest companies make up up 10 15 20 percent of the entire FTSE so if those companies do badly that index can really move a lot um so that that's personally what i do but you you could pretty much look at any major investing company in your country and find you know an index that is suitable for you some people like to do it in their own country you know like spain i'm sure has a fund that would track the entire spanish stock market um personally i just go with the u.s one because it's what i understand and i like it. it's been good for the last hundred years Um, history is the only thing we have to go off of. So Mm -hmm. that's what I do.
1: All right. So, so based on what I've been reading, there's kind of this split view between people who go for index funds and people who go for dividend growth investing, which seems to be all the rage about amongst financial bloggers as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever really got into that Mm -hmm. and what your thoughts are about dividend growth investing.
2: If you can take the emotions out of dividend growth investing. It would be completely fine. But the problem is we're humans. And when we see things going downhill. The natural instinct is to pull the trigger and exit out. I mean if you have like 20 different dividend growth investment stocks. And you see 7 of them in the negative by 20%. And you see it going down and down and down. And the, let's say the stock market cracks or crashes. The first emotion is to sell. Because it's going to go lower. And if you could take the emotions out of that, I think dividend growth investing would be okay. But you can't take your human emotions out of things. I personally don't have the willpower to hang on to, you know, a single sh- dividend growth stock that is plummeting downhill. And I have the habit of wanting to make changes. So the good thing about the index fund is you just have one thing to worry about one fund, and that's it. And I don't have that emotional need to want to sell it because I see it going down Um, and then also the fees too of buying you know if you have a portfolio of 20 different dividend growth uh, stocks you have to buy those 20 different stocks I mean really you should be doing them evenly in even amounts well that creates more additional fees and that kind of goes back to what I was saying about how important it is to keep the fees low if you're doing index funds you just got to buy one or two funds and you're done and you don't have to worry about managing 10 20 different shares. Uh that's my view. I've done some of that in the past before I knew better and uh I could say I'm, I sleep much better at night doing things with trackers and not having to worry about uh, individual yeah. shop, stocks and shares. So
1: yeah, to me it seems like they're both good ways to go about investing. Just choose as you're saying. Which one is most suitable to your style and how much time you have at the end because obviously dividend growth investing takes way more time mm-hmm. than index investing because you have to build your portfolio there's a lot of time invested in choosing those companies mm-hmm. and obviously keeping tabs on them as you go along yeah
2: and the other thing is too how do you know what's right and what's wrong when it comes to buying individual dividend stocks and then the beautiful thing too Jean, about the uh index funds is they also pay dividends so you're getting a dividend too or just on an index fund
1: so Mm -hmm. for me one of the most like the things that caught my attention was that with dividend growth you can avoid buying companies which might not really sit down well with you morally Mm -hmm. so and that's something that you can't really avoid with index funds because they invest in so many different companies
2: absolutely yeah but the, the thing about the dividend uh, investing is you have to understand it is in my mind much riskier than buying individual stocks yeah. if you make the wrong decisions your returns can get destroyed so you know it's whether you're willing to take on that risk i personally don't think it, it makes any sense at all uh, but you know those people that will argue completely
1: opposite <laughs> Um, so another big question that people ask me is like, where is this rate of return coming from? You know, they look at platforms and typically the platform will put up some graph that shows that investing in property is the best thing you can do by far and then slap on a 17% return. And, you know, you don't have any idea where the 17% came from. And the same with P2P loans and everybody's trying to sell you obviously their product. Mm -hmm. So how can we actually calculate if there is a simple way to calculate our return and compare amongst our investments? Mm
2: -hmm. There is only one way to do that. You cannot trust what the platforms tell you for sure. The only way to do it is to open up an Excel spreadsheet and use the XIRR. Function. It's uh, basically you have to put in all your transactions, your starting amounts, and the X Excel magically will tell you exactly what your rate of return is. And that's the only accurate way to do it. So, simple answer to your question.
1: And what does that stand for? The XIRR? Oh, I know
2: you're going to ask me that. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's XIRRR. I always check and forget myself. Yeah. I, uh, probably like Excel instant rate return. I don't know what the X is, but it's something
1: rate return. I actually asked the guys at Twino last time. Did they? Did anybody know? Does anybody really know? We we could Google it. I guess analyzed internal rate of return. Okay, according to what Twino told me last time. I wonder
2: what the X uh, what yeah. the X stands for. Let me. It just says yeah. analyzed. I guess it just says xir uh, I don't know what it stands for
1: because then there's the risk adjusted rate of return which is something else i believe
2: yeah that's the only thing i use is the xirr and it's a little bit time consuming basically you can download your statement from the peer-to-peer company and then plug it into excel and right the, the best thing to do is just go on youtube and watch a tutorial how
1: to do it and so basically we have to first invest and then See how we're doing, like say in AR's time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no way to calculate in advance.
2: No, there really isn't because it's going to, there's so many different factors that change your rate of return. For instance, if you put a thousand euros into a peer-to-peer lending company and you have it sat in the Mm -hmm. account for 10 days before you loan half of it and then the rest of it sat there another 30 days, that's going to affect your rate of return over the year. So... that's a thing called cash drag that's a problem with peer-to-peer lending but that everybody's xir
1: will be different and to finish off i one of the most popular posts on your blog i believe is the 2017 peer-to-peer landing guide where you talk about the state of things and you know what's happening in the industry is there something that jumps out of that article which we haven't really touched upon today which we can share with our audience
2: um I I kind of, well, there's a couple of things that I, I I wrote an article as a lending guides kind of for beginners, you know, or people that want to look at their portfolios. I think what you're Mm -hmm. talking to, were you talking about the uh, the review of what happened in 2016? Because I got a couple of different articles. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, it was just really, some of the platforms made some changes that uh, affected the way that things operated. Um, there wasn't anything major, I mean, one of the companies shut down. Um, the introduction of the ISA upcoming, which has been really popular for 2017. Just a lot of details about different platforms and what they were doing and, you know, ha- the Brexit, mm-hmm. the interest rates really fell. I think that was one of the major things about 2016 is if you're investing in 2015, you saw the interest rates that lenders were making were a lot higher. Uh, for instance, on a company like Rate Ratesetter, where people were seeing seven plus percent was dropping now to four and a half percent for a five-year term. So it's a pretty big dip in the interest rates. So that was one of the main things that really stood out for
1: 2016 yeah so the post is 2017 peer-to-peer landing guide mm-hmm. and yeah you were talking about what happened in 2016 and we're gonna link this up in the show notes i think it's uh you actually put the question here uh, lawrence where do i begin is what people ask you i mm-hmm. guess when uh, hear first hear about the topic and you rightly say that the perfect peer-to-peer company doesn't exist and then the things that you should be looking at and some of the things that we mentioned already but there are others like the kind of directors that they have on board who are they what's their experience the type of products that they have how risky they are and uh, so on and so forth it's a really good read and of, obviously we don't have time to go into every single thing so i really suggest that people you know have a look at at your site and this article in particular if they're just starting out yeah definitely absolutely very important uh, well thanks a lot for sharing your experience is there anything else that we missed and you'd like to share with our audience
2: um no i think we pretty much covered everything i would say yeah there's there's a place for peer-to-peer lending and in- most people's portfolios um it's a very misunderstood business you go and ask a financial advisor about it they're going to tell you to run don't walk away from it run away from it that's the standard sort of answer but i think that i think it's a very progressive and young industry that's still growing i think it has legs and i think it's something that everybody should really take a serious look at especially cuz the savings interest rates are so low and there just isn't that many investing alternatives and yeah, I mean, please check out my website, financialthink.com, where I review the sites that I invest or have invested my own money in and they're unbiased, comprehensive reviews. We also have a podcast uh, where I interview the people like the CEOs that are running the company so you can get to know who you're sending your money to, which is, I think is essentially important so that's about it and i appreciate your time and thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on your podcast Jan. and i love the beard by the
1: way so i'm trying to
2: get there myself but you're you're a beard master
1: you know? well it's quite a new thing so been learning a few things about that myself <laughs> it looks it looks good on you uh, thanks thanks lawrence for being with us you're welcome Thanks again to Lawrence for this excellent advice that has given us. I really appreciate him stopping by and sharing his advice about the P2P space in general and his thoughts about investing. Lawrence has a wealth of experience and I highly suggest you visit his blog, financialthing.com. Um, if you have any questions as usual, please feel free to contact us on podcast at mastermind.fm. And if you love this podcast, We highly appreciate you leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And if you love the podcast, just go ahead and share it with your friends. Tell them all about it. If they're in the WordPress space or if they just love business in general, tell them about this podcast, put the word out. And that's it. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys.